We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to yet another Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast and you join us today on a very, very special and wonderful, heartwarming occasion. Today, ladies and gentlemen, is the last ever Series 8 commentary that we will ever, ever have to do. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Let's put this fucker to bed. <laughs> uh, so, th- yeah, and by the way, it is Series 8, Episode 4, <laughs> Cassandra. Uh, and joining me to do that... Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and these are Jonathan Caps. Hello. <laughs> uh, doing these on a more regular basis hasn't made them any better. <laughs> uh, yeah, him and also Daniel Stevenson. Hello. 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 Uh, so, yes, uh, if you would like to join us in raising a glass and getting rid of uh, Series 8 once and for all, uh, then you can watch the episode for the last time ever as well, if you like, uh, by hitting play when the pips happen at the end of this. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Explosion. Start off with a little explosion. Little explosion. Get you warmed up. <laughs> little explosion. <laughs> It's it's probably yeah. the best thing in the entire series that first shot of the title sequence. <laughs> I t- think yeah, that the the model stuff in the series eight was always good. The CGI stuff, we'll get to that. Yeah, it's, yeah, so little of it, but what's there is good. But yes, this is the last episode of series eight. Uh, it's not the first time we've done a commentary on Cassandra. Uh, sort of semi-notoriously, we did one before and then just didn't bother releasing it and it's it's become sort of semi-mythical none of us can quite remember the details <laughs> yeah it's probably very uh, disappointing it, and boring it was just that from what i remember we all went into it fairly optimistic and thinking well we'll, we'll do a series eight one but at least it's one that we like at least it's an actual good episode and then we realized that we didn't particularly like it and it wasn't a particularly good episode and it just yeah set us on edge it was late in the night yeah it was one of those we were young and mid carefree 2000s. in the mid two thousands. This this feels very series two, like the way that Holly is in this. That he's without it's the yeah the way what that Holly just yeah. He's never integral to the plot really in series eight, other than specific things. You know, outside of back to back in the red, probably is probably the last time he actually does anything mm. relevant. Mm. Uh, and the rest of the time he's just there just for a little set piece comedy thing every now and then it feels like it's separate let's go and talk to Holly yeah. rather than Holly being part of the crew yeah. and that's the symptom of having such a massively a uh, expanded cast for this Yeah, and Danny you're giggling at the dog thing <laughs> I think it's just it's, the, it's just the, it's, again it's, that, it's the same problem with series 8 is that everything it's just it's just like half of that could have been just taken out yeah, and it had been, and it, literally all that stuff about the National Enquirer could have been completely taken out. They said, "Oh, he could have become a dog. This has become a dog. That's the worst idea of course. Give is... me a chance. Only Monday. That'll do. End. Done. A, to... An entire, an entire Twitter thread of <laughs> of tweets <laughs> that we did years ago is based on the fact that Series Eight goes 
two or three times longer in every single joke than it than it should. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> and we we the had problem. a series of tweets of, of classic good lines from Red Dwarf, but then we expanded on them to turn them into series eight jokes. <laughs> it's quite good. My um, favourite of which was Bloody hell, it's a good job he wasn't a gynecologist. Otherwise you've had a big fanny cake. <laughs> yeah. Kevin. Which I think was actually James Bond. Yeah, it James was. Bull. It was James Bond. One of the best ones that we ever came out with. Even, even a stopped clock. <laughs> um, we haven't mentioned uh, yeah the place that Cassandra holds in uh, in the Pearl Poll, our most recent survey of all episodes. It is classified as the best series eight episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is damning with faint praise. Really, uh, it's number fifty three overall. Um, it makes it one better than Blue and one worse than Siliconia. Uh, so it, it's just outside of the top 52, uh, which is there were 52 episodes in the BBC era. Uh, so there's plenty of ones from um, the Dave era that have overtaken it. Siliconia was 50, uh, 52nd? Yeah. Don't know about that. Like, I really like Wayne for God. You <laughs> fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne for God was higher. It's oh, was it? Different bubble. Oh, who... Different bubble. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my bubbles fucked up. You're getting your bubbles burst. <laughs> Was it Holly lied to me? I don't... Uh... It's a similar thing, I guess, to Duck Soup, where uh, one character has put Lister in grave danger for no fucking reason whatsoever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Holly's trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it... he's just trying to keep him sane by... <laughs> Keeping his mind active by the mortal peril that his body he's finds playing, himself He's in. playing the long game. <laughs> <laughs> if he survives this, he'll be perfectly sane. Yeah, it's just the the era of Red Dwarf where characterization didn't, didn't really matter or didn't really get the attention that it that it had previously. It was all really in the service of of the gag. And I think that's why Series 8 is feels so weird it doesn't like I'm always loath to say what is and isn't Red Dwarf because it has been many different things over the years yeah. but the problem with it is there's intrinsically there's no reason why this has to be these characters in this situation yeah there's nothing it's a lot of it feels like a generic like this could be any people in this prison in a prison in space and this is what happens yeah. there's nothing of Rimmer and Lister about this the setup is is so. I know that the setup between series can be quite different. Well, actually, no, not the not the actual setup, but this this situation is so drastically different to any every other series that you write. It it abstracts itself so far away from what the show usually is that it kind of opens itself up to being for people saying that this doesn't feel like the same show. It doesn't feel like Red Dwarf. Mm. And I think that now the Dave era is very much railing against series eight in a way because there's always the thing especially you know when it was series 10 and the kind of early days of the dave era they kept on saying look it's just the four guys they're just on board the ship <laughs> yeah. it's just them and it seems like every launch both, you know, um yeah every every launch every press launch comes with that quote from doug or yeah. from one we, of the cats. We know, we listened. Yeah. It's fine. We're not doing that again. And don't worry, we're still listening. Even though Series 10 was almost 10 years ago, it's still the four lads. <laughs> but yeah, it's, like we were saying earlier about Holly, like I don't think Holly's in it at all now for the rest of the episode. It just had that yeah. little two-minute bit at the beginning. Yeah. 
Too you've much. got so many. You've got six main characters because you know the four lads plus Kachansky and Holly. Then you've got Hollister, and it's always great to see Mac McDonald in yeah. anything. And I don't really resent Hollister being there, but he's taking up space <laughs> physically and in the script <laughs> that could be taken up by other people. Uh, you've got Ackerman. Uh, we've just seen Kill Crazy for the first time. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Is and Baxter, and they're not just like bit parts either. Like the. the they're really consistent guest stars that take up a lot mm. of time in every episode, pretty much. Like, the, the amount that this series is crowded is incredible. It's, it's almost as crowded as our prisons. <laughs> is this the well, first time to... we see Ackerman as well? Uh, uh, he brief, yeah. he briefly welcomes them at the end of Back in the Red. Oh, that's right. Oh, of course, because they've only just settled tank. into their prison life, yeah, haven't they? This before? is like... Yeah. Day two in prison. Yeah. I just love the sort of mincing run down the stairs. <laughs> it's very, very good physical acting. He's probably, he's an incredibly good actor in general. He is. Old Graham McTavish. He's, I, I predict big things for him after this. Yeah. <laughs> he could turn up in all kinds of cult American series. <laughs> Do you predict big things with Shand? <laughs> <laughs> Shand? It's always good to see the Shand pop up in other things. It tends to be things, you know... Wasn't he in Game of Thrones, though, Shend? No, he's... Um, no. I, I, th- I think he said to us when we were out having a fag at DJ that um, oh. he might be. <laughs> uh, I don't wasn't. think it ever happened. Uh. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, he, he's in uh, No Me, No Me with Adam Partridge. And he's in uh, an episode of Men Behaving Badly getting beaten up by Gary. It's always good to see him in things. He's in an episode... So that episode... was Kill Kill Crazy's one one moment that I like in this whole series is that look to camera. Like that's a good that just immediately just stop and just <laughs> I should just get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> and he is now a much bigger star. He is. Uh, thanks to EastEnders. Uh Max Brenning, Max I believe. Brenning, yeah. And he was in Strictly. I love it. <laughs> and he's not in this episode anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment. I think if Kill Crazy had just been left to that, those two things, saying let's go kill something and then standing still and then knocking himself out, and then he didn't return in any future episodes, (laughs) I'd say that that was one of the best one-off guest characters of all time. Because those two things are really funny. It's just that he then came back and did worse jokes. Yeah, the problem is because they're in a prison, they're going to see the same people again and again, which means that you're not going to be able to sort of, you know... Obviously, you could have just said, well, he just got knocked out and that's him done, but... Obviously, yeah. the thing with, with Pete and the tiny, and the, you know, the fight scene and everything. So one of the things, one of the, one of the things, again, like I, I talked about how Duck Soup kind of tricked me, tricks me into thinking it's a good episode, and Cassandra does the same thing. But I think it's because the the actual concept, the idea behind Cassandra herself, and like actually the visuals of her here and everything is really good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good idea that is um, that, that isn't well serviced really by by the dialogue or particularly the performances. Well, apart from um, Geraldine McEwen, yeah. she's good. Um, so yeah, it almost feels like maybe it's depressing because it feels a bit like a bit of a wasted, wasted swing. Uh, uh, yeah, this this I think this particular scene is good. The introduction scene for Cassandra and sort of demonstrating how her power works. Yeah, um, I think that's good. Yeah, it sets up a good concept that it doesn't feel very series eight. Uh, the rest of the series eight plots are about 
you know, life on board ship, on board the prison, and then maybe, you know, some external thing. But this feels like this could slot in anywhere this episode, were it not for the other people yeah, yeah. in it. Yeah, one episode, <laughs> one episode into the Canary conceit, and the best bits are when the Canaries are all shuffled off to the side, and you can yeah. pretend that they're not there, <laughs> and we've got the old the, the old formula. The Canaries, back. the Canaries only exists in order to let them do the old formula. Yeah, yeah, and that's when you know that things maybe just aren't quite aren't quite don't, right. Don't just, just do the old formula. Yeah, <laughs> you're jumping through hoops um, unnecessarily. And it's odd as well that Series A obviously ended up being the last Red Dwarf ever for quite a while, mm. not by design particularly. But it did. It was kind of there was the def, definitely that thing at the time where after after the gap after Series Six, when it came back for Series Seven, it was fairly public knowledge that the idea was to do two lots of eight in order to get up to fifty-two episodes so that it could be syndicated. Yeah, and then and then Doug wanted to do the movie. So it feels weird to get to this stage at the beginning of series eight and say, okay, we've got eight episodes left in this, you know, this current life of the show, and then who knows what's going to happen next. So let's completely change it and make a completely different sitcom just for eight episodes. And also go against so the 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 idea of seven was trying out some movie styles, some movie Mm. style directing and everything, and then also even though you're still moving towards the movie at this point completely reverse that as well i mean it, it yeah. may be an extreme reaction to to the fan the fan reaction yeah, i was just about to say they went but they'd they kind of missed the point of what <laughs> the problem with series seven wasn't necessarily the way it looked though that doesn't help with the atmosphere yeah but it was the one obvious thing that fans would look at and go well that's different don't like it yeah and so the idea, okay, let's take it back to being a big, bold sitcom. Let's dial up the lights. Let's make the performances broader. Let's make the humour broader. It still missed the mark of what what a fan's idea at the time of Red Dwarf should be. Mm-hmm. And I think in those situations, like speaking as one of the fans that complains loudly about something that he doesn't like, I would still not want the result of that complaining to be the creator to say, okay, I'm going to reverse that decision. Like fuck that! You like go in the direction you want to go in. I'll complain about it if I don't like it, but don't change yeah. course because I'm complaining about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it seems a bit uh, yeah. Um, it's because a bit of a dichotomy. I've been don't let me stop I've, you. I've been won over. <laughs> I've been won over by a kind of a stubborn creative direction that's been done with confidence before that I didn't initially like many many, mm. many times. But th- this obviously was just I don't know this knee-jerk reaction back to, you know, let's get it back in front of... Get them in a bunk room, get them in front of a, a, an audience, and, oh, shit, hopefully that'll just work. And, yeah, no. It's that old thing of we want bunk room scenes, and that yeah. still gets said now. <laughs> like, yeah, even in uh, the Dave era, in, you know, 11 and 12, was, there was a lot of bunk scenes, <laughs> and, you know, deliberately so. Yeah. But the location was never... It's not the, the, yeah. the key because the, have Star good the Starbuck cockpit replaced the bunk rooms in, yeah, you know, four, uh, and five gave them, and six, and it was just as good. And that gave them a dynamic where they could have a, all four of them having those types of scenes yeah. and those types of gags. And this is an interesting thing where they sit around and talk about future echoes, 
and they they call it future echoes as well and it's kind of yeah that's what they were but it feels like they're <laughs> yeah. talking about the do you remember the episode remember future the, echoes yeah. <laughs> but uh, a rare piece of um explicit callback like red dwarf doesn't do that usually and if it does it does it it it, it does it in a wonky way and gets <laughs> some details wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so it's kind of um it, it's it's a strange example um of looking backwards yeah. and sort of noting the fact that yeah this there are elements of this plot that are similar to an episode that we've done before yeah. and it's kind of angered a lampshade on it yeah i was gonna say we've also seen that we saw that in the episode prior to this or maybe two episodes prior to this with the um luck virus that yeah. was explicitly tied back to uh landstrom yeah so it's there was yeah, yeah. it was kind of the fan service in red dwarf began in series eight really there were things before of like i always think of lister's little speech in demons and angels where he sort of reels off things that have happened i've played pool with planets and i've given birth to twins yeah but that was that was kind of like a one-off and then yeah back back in the red there's loads of um like recounting past adventures and recapping you know Rimmer's hard light drive came from legion and yeah uh, Crichton's analysis psychoanalysis mentions all of these past things obviously the crew are back it's odd it's it's odd you can see you can see the the, the what what he's doing what he's trying to do i mean this is this is one of those soft reboot moments almost mm. um which seems to happen pretty much every series but you could jump into series eight, you know, get the premise, get filled in with a few bits. The, but for any new point. viewers jumping on series eight, they'd probably think, well, then why, why is any of that, the previous seven series relevant when they've just completely? Yeah, also true. I always like the fact that the only people with massive names on their clothes are Rimmer and not. <laughs> <laughs> Rimmer's name badge is bigger than anyone else's. As if, as if any sort of prison issue clothing would have a name on it. Anyway, at best, it would have a number on it that corresponds to the person. They've only just signed up for the Canaries as well, so that must be yeah. Someone must have got the iron out. Pretty sharpish. And look, like that, not <laughs> name badge. <laughs> that is not a permanent. <laughs> no, it's been it's been printed out on one of those label makers. Yeah, so they, they bought the label maker at the same time as they got the blueberry muffin from Tesco's. <laughs> it's special futuristic font that looks a bit like a computer did thirty years prior to this being filmed. <laughs> <coughs> I mean, not even. I don't. Think, I don't think. I don't think it's ever been. I don't even know where that style of font even originates. from I think it's that OCR kind of. Uh, it's like you know, like on a book, you used to have those OC, those optical character recognition letters and numbers. That yeah. Have like specific. Right. Like, they're like a binary representation if you read it across, but it's a but it's like written into the number itself. Oh, I see like, what you mean. The eight looks like a plug, but it's like a. Thicker, so that's a like series thick, of dots and dashes. Yeah, the thickness of the lines mattered on those numbers and letters, mm. which is how they were read by. Um, Very clever. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so. <clears throat> No, no. Actually, I was going to dig into kind of the the <laughs> the details of what the hell just happened to not dying, not dying because he was wearing Rimmer's jacket. And Rimmer did was the fact that Rimmer did that trick, the thing that killed Not or was not always going <laughs> to 
die anyway. I, are you and, talking about uh, not Rimmer dying or Rimmer not dying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's a little bit of the entangled, similar question to entangled of what causes those begs to choke. Uh, were they always going to, or did Lister cause it? Yeah. But yeah. That's it's kind of. Yeah. I think in this it has to be the fact that Cassandra saw, like, saw someone that she knew had. I don't know. I've See, tied myself up in knots before I've even. Yeah, yeah. because the, because if that was true, then this wouldn't make sense with what Crichton's doing. Yeah. Also, the fact that the gun could have only fired just because Rimmer ducked. Uh, I don't know. And it's never it's never a good idea. It's never a good idea to deconstruct Red Dwarf too much. Yeah. But <laughs> Well, do you know what I mean? When it comes to the really like back backwards falls to bits as soon as you think about it yeah. too hard, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one of the best episodes of the entire show. But when 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 the when the logic problems kind of don't let you ignore them, <laughs> that that's when it's an issue. I do, yeah. I do find the idea of predeterminism being a, a, a shield is kind of an interesting concept in itself. Like, it is. Yeah. yeah. Because it's not going to happen yet, it will happen now. But if they're, they're also confident that they are immune and impervious because Cassandra has said that they won't die on board... Then what makes them think that they can possibly save Rimmer? Yeah. Because yeah. either Oh yeah. Either either both of those things are fixed, they all survive and Rimmer dies. Either they're both fixed or neither of them are. Yeah. Absolutely. So right. they should if they if they think that they can save Rimmer, then they shouldn't be firing guns at each other. <laughs> uh I just remember yeah. the next bit. <laughs> <laughs> Kachansky actually has some of her best lines ever in this bit, though. Uh, about uh, skipping ahead a bit, but I've never been seduced by predeterminism theory. <laughs> yeah. And Rimmer does good faces. <laughs> or Chris rather does good faces. Rimmer does awful faces. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite telling. It's quite telling that you just got Rimmer and Chris Barry um, conflated there because yeah. that's the whole series, really. Yeah. Him and Craig. There's there's some good comedy from um, Cassandra's bluntness. Like she 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 bluntly delivers quite a few good kind of bombs, I guess. Yeah. That uh, provides some good humour. As like you said, Geraldine McEwen is very good. Yeah. yeah no she's problem brilliant. with her. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> Giving it best, Jesus. <laughs> The dumb with the stupid egg. We are clearly finding bits in this that we'd forgotten about because yeah, we just a lot of it is just like yeah. it's the little it's the little interstitial stuff between the lines that we do remember. It's the little extra little bits that obviously you know <laughs> that's why they fall by is because I don't remember them. But are we having the exact reverse reaction that we had? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> On our first attempt, we've we've so hammered maybe... our expectations into the ground over the last eighteen years. <laughs> And then remembered, oh yeah, this is all right actually. <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. yeah. It's, like it's a decent enough episode. I think it's, it's one of those. In the pantheon of Red Dwarf, it's, it's nowhere near top tier. It's probably not even scraping middle tier Red Dwarf. But as half hour comedy in itself, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't have anything <laughs> in it that upsets me particularly. So that like line. Other episodes do. Maybe you would. Dr- oh, blind. Okay, yeah, no, I get it. Blind drunk. Yeah, doesn't excuse my other four senses. Okay, that's good. I thought the line was it, you. Maybe you were drunk, and then she said it doesn't excuse my other four senses, which wouldn't have made any sense. But that's not what she said. Drunk, so. drunk is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to mix my nice whiskey with manky, cobwebby tap water as well. <laughs> this is a bicycle joke where we see the cause of the bicycle. <laughs> so, a bicycle joke is where someone says, you're not getting me on that bicycle, jump cut to them sat on a bicycle. There was one yeah. earlier in the episode you had... where he said, you're not, I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to become a canary, cut to them being canaries. <laughs> yeah, so we've had actual ones already. <laughs> And this one was, there's no way I'm getting out of these clothes and into that bed. And then instead of cutting to her in yeah. bed, it shows the cause of her getting into bed. And it's better for it. So what is there, is there a word for that? Like A, um, a unicycle joke. A tandem. <laughs> a tandem an joke. Ex- an extended bicycle. <laughs> Ellie Clib. Bicycle back. Pardon? Our bicycle backwards. <laughs> hey, 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 we're moving in the right direction now. <laughs> <laughs> You're being a little bit rapey, Rimmer. Yeah. Like I said, Chris is doing good faces. Rimmer's doing awful faces. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris doing good work, Rimmer doing terrible work. Yeah. He's doing a good job at portraying a horrible, horrible man. <laughs> well, the bloody buggering hell is good as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's probably one too many of those. Yeah. Oh, I nearly had sex but didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's the Series 8 problem. <laughs> but that's Rimmer right there. That that you'd have been on top, and I could use use a human shield. It's like okay, that's that's What's the exact thing that Cassandra says? Does she say Lister catches you in bed with Kachansky? Yes. So that's interesting. So, so that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean having sex. I just no. say making love to Kachansky. He catches oh, you enough. making love to Kachansky. Uh, and then he says, sorry, could you repeat that? So, yeah. Okay. Well, fine. <laughs> I think. I'm going to have to go. Well, I'm not rewinding it now. <laughs> it would completely <laughs> mess not up the it. entire... Not watching it again. <laughs> it ruined the entire commentary. In. <laughs> <laughs> You're beating to it. Quite oh, figured God. it out. There, there's, there's your conclusion to... Maybe the majority of Red Dwarf episodes. Almost every subsequent episode. Best, Best guess, guess sir. <laughs> there, is, there is a kind of uh, subversion of that joke earlier in the episode, though, of Crichton figuring everything out and Kat asking him how he figured it out and him saying, I just read it on this manifest. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the quintessential kind of 
joke that makes you makes you think oh, this episode is funny because it, it that yeah. is a really good joke. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so playing with the tropes that Crichton's always the one that makes these speeches in the same way that, you know, yeah. Back to Earth did it a lot more explicitly with Mike Mellington saying, <laughs> oh, it's always the size scan, isn't it? Yeah. Anytime there's a problem, just check the size scan. <laughs> Can I have this duck? <laughs> and then this ending is part Star Trek, part British Empire. <laughs> Mr. giving a big philosophical speech about determinism and then undermining accidentally it. setting up a what's the name of the type of machine that this is Danny Osterhagen machine or something? Oh, what's that? Oh, Rube, uh, Rube Goldberg. Goldberg. Rube Goldberg yeah. machine. Osterhagen is um, something from Doctor Who. I just remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely thought he might have been a Villa player. <laughs> <laughs> Not this again. <laughs> What kind of prick just leaves? <laughs> like this whole thing, thing could have been prevented thing. if he'd have just chucked his chewing gum in a bin like a normal person, <laughs> or swallowed it more person. Oh no, God no! Oh, you fucked it up. It's a pretty shit Rube Goldberg machine. It could have been a bit more elaborate than this. <laughs> uh, Cassandra's look. <laughs> oh, oh. Told you so. <laughs> Oh God, no! <laughs> but it's okay. She'll have a backup floppy disk somewhere. Like it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, see, that'd have been a nice twist ending if they'd have had like a shot where it showed like Sandra backup, and I'd be like, "Ooh, not on <laughs> contents." Maybe she'll contents predict too. some more things in the future. Cassandra will return in Skyfall. <laughs> <laughs> oh look, um, Shend credited as Shend, and not, not the, the Shend. Shend. And Blood Drinker being someone who isn't anyone. <laughs> Because he, he tells a story, he told a story at DJ a long time ago that he ha- he has to be called The Shend because it's a it's a, his legal name but he had to have two names. So the yeah. his first name. His, his, his stage name is Shend. Okay, right. His his legal name is The Shend. The Shend. Because he changed it by deed poll, but yeah, the official rules are for your actual name you have to have two names. Right, yeah, so, okay. So Prince and Madonna, etc., they must have, you know, Madonna's real name is Mrs. Madonna. <laughs> yes. The that's... Madonna. <laughs> the Madonna. The Madonna. <laughs> okay, the that's box. interesting. I'd actually I'd 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 mix it up in my head. I thought that his he'd shifted his stage name over as well. The Shend is better. That's a better name. Like that's that's <laughs> that, that's grandiose. I like like the Shend. Shend. Uh, not not Ashend. yeah, not just not just your common a garden Shend. This is the Shend, mate. That's how you make anything better, just put a Shend in it. <laughs> if you like it. They should have put a Shend What was that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, in the credits Blood Drinker. Yeah. Uh, which I'd completely forgotten about. Yeah, it's a character that got deleted. Uh, it's in the deleted scenes on the Series 8 DVD. Uh, I just had to Google it because I'd forgotten what it was. Did you find a GNT uh, article? No, um, Red Dwarf Wiki, uh, oh. reddwarf.fandom.com. Uh, Blood Drinker was a middle-aged man with a monotone Scottish accent. Uh, his crimes are unknown. <laughs> Given, <laughs> Given his nickname, it presumably had something to do with drinking blood. <laughs> Uh, he was one of the canaries who investigated the Silverberg. Uh, he entered the chamber where the others were conversing with Cassandra and informed them that the Silverberg had started shipping water 18 floors up. 
uh, as Cassandra had prophesied. Blood Drinker then called down to Mr. Knot to help inspect the damage. Okay. So it was just plot device and exposition, basically. Yeah, yeah. but they obviously trimmed that bit out. And again, it's like I've I've not watched the Series 8 DVD uh, and the deleted scenes and that as much as most of the previous ones. And I think that was partly the source material. Like, mm. I'm more interested in things that were edited out of episodes that I like rather than things that weren't even good enough for episodes that I don't like. I think when I watched the, the, the special features on 8, maybe the only time really that I've watched them all through uh, me and you were in the middle of a review race, <laughs> so I'll probably put it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was series eight. The last of our comment. I feel like me and Danny have probably done most of them between us because yeah. we definitely We've did done ba- five out of the eight on a zone for sure. And I don't know if we did Crack TV on a zone. I think we might have done. Oh, uh, Crack TV was a no. That was a. That was um, group that was a big argument between yeah. me and Capsy versus John that was really unpleasant. <laughs> so unreal. Have you talked about that on the hundredth? That wasn't a um, to go back to. I think we might have done yeah. only the good between us. I don't know, but yeah, the majority. Yeah, you did back the red. Was kind of, was <laughs> holding the fort while everyone else did. Now, yeah. now we've dragged Capsy in because we're so near the end of our, <laughs> yeah. of our run of commentaries. We have no choice. I mean, you guys definitely did back in the red because can can you imagine like the effort that it used to take to get us all in the same house, um, especially after yeah. I moved, and then saying right after all that effort, let's watch back in the red for an hour. And <laughs> it a was half. never going to happen. Like yeah. it was never. Ever gonna happen. <laughs> So, good doing God's work. But yeah, I do feel quite happy that you can kind of draw a line under it now. Yeah, because series eight in general used to be obviously a source of great anger and <laughs> and frustration and disappointment, but it's something that we've said that I've said before of now that we have the Dave era and it's not the last ever Red Dwarf. I can there's no need need to be angry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just, like we've all moved on. Yeah. It's been quietly had a line drawn under it, and yeah, and everyone. Well, I was going to say no one cares about it anymore, but you always get the question that's asked whenever there's any new Red Dwarf: is when are they going to address the Series Eight cliffhanger? Mm. And that would just be the worst idea <laughs> to do that now, all of a sudden. Also, like Series Eight seems to be a lot of a sort of the next generation's jumping on point as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of people yeah, say their their favorite series is 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 Series Eight. And then it's like, if because that's the first one they saw, so we, we always use this comparison, but it is like, you know, who's your favourite Doctor? It's like usually the Doctor that you got instructed to, for, and I mean Doctor Who, by the way. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's always like, the, like it's, your, it's your, your first one that you're introduced to on your, on your own. So yeah. it's interesting that Series 8, it's like, I kind of wish I could have experienced that because then I wouldn't think of Series 8 as being a downward curve rather yeah, than just it being the start a level point. peg a level peg where everything before it is better <laughs> but to me it's the fact i've got a high bar and series eight doesn't reach it so it's like it's like it's the opposite for me but for yeah. everyone else they get lucky bastards they get to have like a nice <laughs> series that they've enjoyed and then everything else around it is actually marginally better you can totally so, see why it's a jumping on point but surely, though, if you came on board with Red Dwarf, you watched Series 8 as the first thing and thought, oh, this is great, I want to watch more of this, wouldn't you then be disappointed to find a singer, like, oh, where have all these prisoners gone? Why is it just these four? Well, look, a series, What's going on series 8 introduces the idea of the prisoners, so it's not like as if you're going to expect them beforehand. And maybe yeah, this cool. is where the kind of, the, the sort of um, disdain for certain Series 1 episodes 
comes from that a lot of us can't quite get on board with um, is that series one is so far removed from eight. Yeah. That yeah. If if eight is if if eight is high in your opinion, then you get shown waiting for God. You're gonna be like, what? I'll balance power more more specifically. Like, what the fuck is this? Mm, nah, yeah. I'm not not into this. Whereas you know, if you the other way around, you can. It's like the two extremes of the show. Yeah, um, because it developed so much over those eight series. Yeah. If you, if you were on board towards the start, then series eight seems weird to you. Yeah. If you were on board towards the end, then series one would seem weird to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, eight, series eight is quite weird on its own anyway, even if that was yeah. what you were, you know, even if yeah. you kind of understood the, the progression, series eight is quite a jump in everything, you know. I do, I view series eight much like the, the remastered. So like, remastered's been talked about a lot by Doug, specifically, like, uh, of it being an important part of the show's survival, maybe even Grant Naylor Productions' survival during the quiet spot, because it, it allowed for a lot of international marketing and sales and etc. Yeah. But series series eight kind of almost goes hand in hand with that. Like it was it was popular. It was big and bright oh, yeah. and visible. And like I say, like anecdotally, you know, we've been we've all been to a lot of DJs between us and there is a lot of fans that came on board with series eight. Mm-hmm. Um and like it it it's one of the biggest factors of like keeping the show alive, you know, during the, the quiet patch is this series even though that it's, it's really not to a lot of people's taste and so there's something to be said for that i think like mm. yeah i would say the production designers eight is actually pretty good as well like like the actual look of the show isn't like i can't fault any part of it really cgi is a bit clunky but it's, it's a huge step up huge it's, step up yeah. from seven and it's still yeah. chris veal as well so like that's they used CG where they couldn't possibly yeah. have done it for real, unless you know, like the model stuff is exquisite. The, the you know the yeah. where they had to cheat and had to use CG, you can kind of understand why. Well, this is the first time they didn't have visual effect. Their visual effects department, and oh, yeah. so like, how do you yeah, how knows. do you go from like this institutionalized, like pre-built module of your production that you can just rely on obviously it has to be part of your budget and everything but this you know this you know go to the room next door for the model guys how do you go from that to you know you suddenly everything is up in the air and contract it's a much smaller part of the budget when it's in-house as well yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly you have to actually find the money to do the same thing basically yeah yeah so what, yeah, what they ended I think up with... You can see budget. the budget starting to strain in Series 8, which Doug talked about in the script book. Hmm. Well, the Wrong script way. book is one of the best things about Series 8. <laughs> yeah, well. yeah. Like, I'm grateful that Series 8 exists just for that, because yeah. that's great. I will, I will absolutely the... agree, and I think it's an absolutely crying shame that there isn't one for every other series. Nod, nod, wink. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. please, GG. I mean, that's please. a pretty easy... That I mean, I say easy. That's a pretty good well that Doug could tap. Well, either of yeah. them could tap if they wanted to do like you know memoirs about a particular series. Is that the book? So I can't remember. Is that the book where Doug reminisces about being in the edit room with um, Rob for the um, underpants scene in um, Polymorph, and him being so out of control laughing, he had to be sent out to get pizzas for everyone. That was the six of the best CD. Oh, the six of the best CD. Okay. He, he talks okay. about laughing all the way to the pizza place, laughing while he's ordering the pizza, <laughs> laughing while he's waiting for the pizza, and laughing as he walks back. Yeah, that's a lovely story. Um, the, yeah, in the Series 8 one, there's the story about him 
um, but staying in a hotel room, not realizing that there's a, a mint chocolate on his pillow, okay. uh, going to sleep on it, waking up in the night and thinking he's either bleeding or shut himself, <laughs> and having to go down to the laundry. I think I think that's do. why I I thought I got the stories mixed up there because he do, in the book he does talk about being in the edit, doesn't he? Or when he's in that hotel room, that's because he is hard on the he's... edit at that point or something. Maybe it's yeah. yeah towards the end of series seven. The Series 7 process. I can't yeah. quite remember the details. But yeah, he also talks about um, showing the ending of uh, the original ending of Only the Good to his kids and them not liking it and him mocking his kids for their opinions on Red Dwarf and uh, he can barely eat spaghetti and yet he's telling me what to do. And then that kid went on to be <laughs> the producer of Red Dwarf. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, he complains in the book about the budget, um, and it's often the thing. If, like, his big complaint was that he had the same budget as Dinner Ladies, uh, despite being very different types of shows. But Dinner Ladies uses that budget so much better <laughs> than, yeah. than Red Dwarf. And there's the the fact that Dinner Ladies, I mean, it's not necessarily unusual, but Dinner Ladies was shot twice yeah. in front of an audience, it is, and yeah. not, so it they, had they, a higher they did budget. Everything twice, yeah, they had a huge cast. Uh, big ensemble, of, yeah, you know, and some really decent names in there. Yeah, it was probably quite an expensive show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just because it was had one set. Yeah, but yeah, I think in Red Dwarf in Series Eight, you can see obviously there's big areas where the budget was spent. Uh, there's like the big explosion set piece, and a couple that are probably not as brilliant a use of the resources, such as the Blue Midget Dance and uh, Pete. Mm. Uh, but you can see the strain in things like the uniforms, like while the, like the purple lilac uniforms, while they may be kind of accurate as the type of drab, horrible clothing that prisoners would wear, it doesn't. They're drab and horrible. Doesn't translate very well on screen. Yeah. The sets, the sets are good and they're well designed, but I think you can sort of tell that they're on the cheap. Uh, to some extent, there's a lot of sort of hanging pieces. Yeah, but then uh, you get weird things like a. a, a and a replica build of the original bunk room that's used for five seconds. Yeah, like <laughs> you've got both ends of the spectrum. It's very like yeah. it, that shows how disorganized, I guess, um, the direction of, of the whole series was, and that there, there is these big uneven bits mm. in the production. And it's probably yeah, it's a, it's definitely a consequence of the problems that they had during, which led them to extending some episodes and stretching them and chopping others. Indeed. So in the end, but series luckily, eight isn't very good, but we're but we're kind of okay with it now. Yeah, <laughs> we've kind and, of come to terms with it. And and it really got it really got like production problems out of Granella Production System. Like after after yeah. series eight, <laughs> it's been smooth sailing really. Nothing um, but plain sailing. Since. Yeah, I think as well. Like part of the thing because I remember when between six and seven there was a whole there was a gap where like we were like well we don't know if we're gonna get any more Red Dwarf because after out of time they were saying oh yeah, Red Dwarf maybe back next year or something so we had to wait for that so when series seven happened then in series eight was announced we're like cool new Red Dwarf so we didn't have to wait as long to kind of we knew it was coming so we could kind of gear ourselves up and then when we got it it was like we you know I was like oh this is different it's a bit it's a bit strange I'll I'll go along with it and then only like when you kind of distance yourself and have a bit of time then you start to sort of go oh actually you know it's not as good as the last one that I yeah. remember. and you start to sort of and then it starts to then it, then it's not fun to 
<laughs> it's, and it becomes no longer fun to watch it. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't, I, I'd like I to, be able to go back to that kind of in my head. I think there's, there's partly a, a thing of seeing other people pointing out the problems. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, not to, I'm not beating myself up but for it because I was 12 at the time. But I did. I liked Series 8 when it first started. And I think I was trying to sort of convince myself that I liked it. Um, well documented. Because like, I had I had some uh, friends that lived nearby that were Red Dwarf fans, and we'd like call each other up after each episode, and sometimes it would be a really enthusiastic. Oh, that was brilliant! That was amazing. it's kind of like a proto live dwarfcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> sometimes we'd phone each other up and be really enthusiastic. And I remember after back in the Red Part Three and after Pete Part Two, phoning up and just going, "So yeah, did you watch it? Yeah." Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really brilliant. I really liked that, yeah. <laughs> like an unenthusiastic then, liking of things. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so desperate to like it. And I still am. Whenever New Red Dwarf happens, I really, really want to think it's fucking brilliant. And, and when it isn't, that's why it's sometimes our reactions can be so extreme because it's like you get, you feel that disappointment. And um, yeah, I think after that, even at 12, watching it knowing, oh, this isn't quite as good really knowing that in my hearts and hearts. And then as soon as I got a bit older and started reading other people's criticism of it, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but there's this set of reviews that originally were on alt TV, red dwarf, um, that sort of became quite sort of shared quite a lot. And it TJ... was quite visceral. What was that? TJ. TJ. Someone. TJ's Red Dwarf re- yeah. uh, 8 reviews. I wonder if it's still online. So it must be somewhere. Must be, even yeah. if it's on archive. They're excellent. Yeah. Excellent essays. TJ's really. Red Dwarf 8 reviews. Yeah. yeah. Like really in depth takedowns of each episode. As the series goes on, it gets more and more pissed off. Yeah. And they get more and more visceral as it goes on. Uh, that kind of shaped. Like, I don't want to say that I took his opinions on board, but as soon as people point out the faults in something that you're already a bit unsure about, that's then all you can see. I'll be honest with you. I'll I I kind of I obviously I don't judge before I've seen something. I try to at least give it a go first, and then just see. Um, with the only episode that I have genuinely ever done that and gone, I'm really not enjoying this, and that was Time Wave. It's the only episode yeah. of Red Dwarf that I've ever gone and watching it, and while watching it for the first while time, it, yeah. I found myself not enjoying what I was seeing. That's and during every other episode, I'm like, uh, like that I can, like I may not love it. I don't, you know, but like some episodes, like like a lot of people disagree. Crisis was a, a bad episode. I don't. I think just because it spoke a bit too close to home <laughs> for me mm. at the time when I watched it. So that was that was kind of why it resonated. But like Time Wave. Mm, just, yeah. it just there's something about it. By the end of it, I was just like, "This is a mess. This is an absolute mess. <laughs> fucking shambles. This is a fucking shambles." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was the commentary of uh, Time Wave. <laughs> no, but no, but basically, that's the. But you're saying that you know you watch an episode and you and you kind of and at the time you kind of go, "Yep, I really enjoyed that. Like that was new and yeah. different, and I hadn't seen it before. So yeah, it's different and new. Okay, cool. And then you start to sauce starts to needle away at you. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's really rare. It's really rare. Thinking about it for me as well to come away from a an episode. I mean, I actually there's there's we have a waffle men question which is going to touch on this exact on series eight again for me. But like mo- most of the time, yeah, you think, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely like that episode, and you could even think that about episodes you hate now. You know, it's just 
things mm. change. It's, it's about that initial. But so yeah, for Time Wave to be the one where you're just like, no, I don't want to be watching this, uh, says a great deal, a, uh, <laughs> a great deal about it. And I, you know, for, for me, yeah, I, I'm usually quite optimistic and quite positive about most things. But even now, I've, I've got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, as you mentioned, uh, a brand new feature. Should we dive into it? Let's dive into it. Let's let's have a plate this is, of waffles. This is the part of the show where we uh, just have a big old rumbly chat about anything Red Dwarf related that has been suggested uh, by our listeners and readers over the last week. And we like to call it... Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. Men. Men? So, kicking off this week, should we start with the big one, um, <laughs> which I think is the one that you were talking about, Caps, so that we have some semblance of a flow to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Hutchinson, uh, who gave us a, a great uh, question last week as well, uh, asks, has there ever been a point in your lives where you almost gave up on Red Dwarf for whatever reason, be it over a certain joke, the direction of the series, or even a moral issue that you didn't agree with? Go right for the jugular there, Nikki. Yeah, did you did you have a, a yeah? A, a answer yeah. So thinking about like my um, kind of history watching the show is that around about the time so I watched Ticket to Ride when it went out, and I only kind of just realised that I did this when I when I started thinking when I got back into the show like early early two thousands. But I watched Ticket to Ride and I had exactly the same thing that what we were just talking about. But like, oh yeah, that was great. Anyway, I watched the next, and and I watched, you know, Stoke Me a Clipper. And at some point in series seven, my m- memory of the series disappears to the point where mm. I must have just stopped watching it. And then series eight comes along, and exactly the same thing happened. And I actually remember in 1999, around about must have been around Cry TV time, where I was just like, I'm, I'm not going to bother watching this. And yeah. a couple of years later, I then I'd almost forgotten, I'd forgotten that I didn't like series eight. I remembered how much I loved, you know, the the early stuff. I started collecting VHSs in two thousand. So that's kind of the closest I've come to just kind of almost forgetting that the show exists. Like that, that was the moment, like ninety nine to two thousand. That was the moment where I could have packaged up Red Dwarf in my brain as a kid thing, because I was yeah. sixteen, seventeen. Like this is the exact, you know, transition point into adulthood. Mm-hmm. I could have packed it off and put it in a box, and that's the kid stuff. And now I don't like it anymore. I didn't. <laughs> I came back yeah. to it uh, in quite a big way, and reappraised seven and eight. Realized I still, I definitely hated them, but then, I, uh, but um, or that I, I definitely didn't like seven and eight, but found them interesting. Um, and was like, oh, that is quite interesting. I quite like to write about this, and then blah blah blah. Everything else mm. happens in the two thousands, and I'm at this point. So. Yeah, I guess it ties into what Danny was just saying about how after the big gap uh, between six and seven. We had seven, then we had sort of remastered and Red Dwarf Night the next year, then we had Series Eight the next year. You'd be forgiven at the time for taking Red Dwarf for granted. Yeah. But you know, but once it was back we just assumed it would keep going on in some form or other. And if we if you'd have known at that point that there'd be ten years before another new episode, then you might not have given up so keenly. Yeah. But then like I don't think that was then. This is now. I think I can speak for all of us. There is nothing now that would ever stop us from watching Red Dwarf. Um, It doesn't matter how shit it gets. I mean, readers, regular readers of the site will probably be aware that I've not been particularly present on it 
over the last few years. And a part of that is a change in life and moving and starting a family. But part of it is also like the the fire the fire that I, I have for a dwarf in me, you know, like the, the, the passion for light and the excitement of there's something new or I have mm. to see as many things recorded live as possible. That sort of, you know, series 10 and 11, uh, series 10 era sort of feeling has died down a little bit. Like, oh, it's changed a little bit. Like, I would I would never, you know, I would never not watch Red Dwarf live on its night of broadcast and then do a dwarf cast and, you know, and all that. But, yeah. um, Things change, don't they, over the over the years. You change your relationship with a particular thing, especially the things that you love. And sometimes mm. the thing doesn't survive that change. And if and if it does survive it, then you know it just it it, it almost cements it more. You know, you can love yeah. this thing in different ways with different intensities depending on what's going on in your life. I guess. Uh, yeah, I think for me, the only time where. I've come near to not giving a shit about Red Dwarf. Uh, was kind of a little bit while I was at uni, and that was just because of the time in my life. You know, I was at uni and I was away from yeah. home for the first time, and I was very busy experimenting with what fluids and <laughs> substances I could put in my body and not die, and which didn't leave as much time for Red Dwarf at that point. Uh, and that really wasn't anything to do with the show. It was just to do with you just had a break. my age at yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah, and then sort of once I'd come out the other end of that and started being sensible again, then Red Dwarf became a big, big part again. And that's thanks to G and T. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, ever. I don't think it'll ever leave me now because of G and T. Yeah. Well, I was going to say your like early uni years is when. The crew really started getting together, I guess. Yeah, which um, kind of allowed me to dip out for a little while. Yeah, because I like I'd started G and T and and built it up with John, uh, and then it was what about two thousand and five when everyone sort of merged together, and then all of a sudden there were Six. more people doing G and T. Yeah, uh, and that allowed me to just let you and Seb and John and <laughs> other yeah, people if... just get on with it. <coughs> yeah, we had that. Allowed like... me to have a little sabbatical. Yeah, dwarf cast. Uh, dwarf. There was you know obviously the big dwarf cast um, start, and that was you know you know me and Seb yeah. getting stuff out. Yeah, yeah. You have these waxes and wanes, and um, <clears throat> you know opinions change. <clears throat> excuse me about you know certain people involved in the show and stuff, and like you know mm-hmm. it can be difficult like. It's always difficult when you when you move from being kind of almost a naive fan, like being a kid, and you can be a fan of something, and this thing exists in a bubble, and nothing else exists. But the, the, when you when you move into this level of fandom, and you're analysing, and you're and you're part of that scene, then there is always the danger of learning too much about the show, learning too much about the people involved in the show. <laughs> all of these things, these are, these are all like potential landmines that could completely, like, completely derail you. Like, you just don't know. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I, don't know. I think, yeah, in part of Nikki's question of, of what would make you turn away, like... yeah sort of the moral things and jokes that we don't like that side of things I don't think yet Red Dwarf has deliberately or you know intentionally no way done anything with any bad faith 
yeah. I think there's been things in Red Dwarf that haven't been great from that perspective, um, and they're mainly just to do with you know things not being thought through properly or things just being a bit insensitive. The only thing that would give me actual cause for concern is that if Doug decided to turn it into some sort of alt-right <laughs> propaganda <laughs> driving machine, yeah. which I don't think is likely. I think you'd have to go so extreme and like, how would something even get on TV, get past the <laughs> yeah. uh, the commissioners? It would have to be like Doug and everyone involved in the show would have to completely change their Lose moral outlook. Yeah, <laughs> and then somehow get that onto TV for it to affect me, and convince Robert Llewellyn to be anything to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, you're right. It's and uh, like when it comes to like at the moment at time of recording, I say time of recording. You have this episode a few days later. You know, there's a lot of reappraisal going on about comedies at the moment. Yeah, and Red Dwarf just isn't. It, it, there's not going to be anything even close. That, that that is going to need to be reappraised about Red Dwarf because obviously racially the show has been inclusive, yeah, dynamic, whatever from day one, and those sort of jokes just don't get anywhere unless you're Belgian. You know, maybe there's there's a couple of points in there that you know you <laughs> might want readdressing. Belgian material. There's not really, yeah. <laughs> There was that th- the article uh, that Danny John Jules was involved in that was um, around the time that Promised Land was getting promoted. There's an article on the Guardian that talked about um, Red Dwarf being sort of this paragon of representation, and that's certainly true in the case of um, race and ethnicity. Yeah, there's other areas where it is not perfect, such as women. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's the certainly the current uh, controversies that are knocking about. I don't think um, Red Dwarf has anything to worry about. There's Taiwan Tony, but um... I was gonna say, but oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's so mild. <laughs> Did you have a was there a point in your life, Danny, where you almost fucked off Red Dwarf? Um, okay, I would say I agree with Capsy with in terms of the 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 slight dimming of the light, so shall we say it like this? Like, but I think that just comes with age. I think that just mm. is something that happens. Because as you grow through life, more things happen to you. So yeah. that you know, the percentage of stuff that you once had, you know, when you were ten and Red Dwarf was the only thing in your life. And then yeah. you, you know, you become fifteen and other things start to think, that takes up a smaller percentage of your your brain and your life and your and your thought processes. So I think just in general, I think, you know, the fact that it's it's not as present a part of your life as you grow up is just kind of math. It's just yeah. the way that life works, and it kind of you know it takes up a, a lesser percentage. It's not that it's not as strong; it's just that it's as strong as other things that are now taking part of your life, and and you know relationships and and family matters and all the rest of it that kind of add into all that. So yeah, I suppose there is a slight dimming, but I think that's normal. Yeah, mm. you recontextualize it depending on your life because I you know I had a moment when I you know when I was young where. You know, I kind of drifted away from the show for a couple of years before I came back. But then, when I was very much into my in my twenties, you know, and and an adult and with a full time job, Red Dwarf was a huge percentage of my life because I lived with Ian Symes and Joe Sharples, and <laughs> there was uh, Red Dwarf Ten was ramping up, and we redesigned the G and T, and it was like it was an all consuming force in my life for years and years, and then. You know, some family things happen. Again. Things kind of yeah die down a bit. So yeah, wax and wane, I guess. What I what I can't tell you is how much a part of my life Red Dwarf would still be if all my yeah. friends weren't something to do with the show. 
like this yeah. is like a really major part of why i still watch red dwarf is because i am all my all my friends that i have met online and spoke to it are connected in some way yeah. to that show and so it's kind say. of impossible to get away from it really so it's not like it'll ever go away it'll always be there because it's a common factor with pretty much 99 percent of the people i love so you know it's uh, that's that, it I think that for for us in particular, and for a lot of people that we know, it, Red Dwarf transcends the TV show and the and the books and everything else. Yeah, it like for us, Red Dwarf being part of our lives isn't necessarily even tied into watching episodes, thinking about the episodes themselves. It doesn't matter how much our interest in the show changes. We no. Red Dwarf will always be. Part of us, it will always be tied into us because of the people that we know, the yeah. friendships that we've made, the relationships that we've the children that are born to this world because of people that we've met through Red Dwarf. Yeah, it's it's never going to go away. It will never not be part of my life. And, and yeah. the community that we have, like the wider community, the people that are listening to this right now, that actually, you know, give us a platform. Like it's a big thing as well. It's quite an intoxicating thing, really. Mm. Apart from Sai. Oh, yeah, he's a prick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've answered that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that all got very deep. Complicated one. I think think the short answer to that question is yes, there has been times. There has been times. <laughs> <laughs> there has been times where it was close, but not necessarily because of the show itself, no. but just because of life. Yes, yeah. that's I don't, exactly I don't think it. There is, I don't think there is, there is or has ever been, other than Capsie, like not liking series eight and not bothering to watch the last few episodes. I think anything that happens subsequently to that, it doesn't matter what happens with yeah. the show. It's and, always going to be. And that was a different time. That was before, you know, I was involved with the show, uh, you know, involved with the fandom in any yeah. sort of, you know, I think, yeah, that's the catalyst for me, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, there was a, there was a, if there was a time where I was in danger of moving away from Red Dwarf in like properly, it probably would have been around the same time as Caps, like post series uh, eight, mm-hmm. uh, because I was less keen on it, but also just, you know, at the, that particular age, I'm a few years younger than Caps. I was like twelve, thirteen. Um, that could have been a a point in the path where I went in another direction, but then I got the internet, and yeah. uh, getting the internet in 1999, uh, sort of back end of 99. The first thing I I wanted to do was go on and and read about Red Dwarf and look up Red Dwarf things and go on all these websites Definitely like the Snake first Web thing and you wanted Red to Dwarf do. Zone yeah. and whatever. It was and just like all of a sudden Red Dwarf was taking up all of my brain again because of all this brand new connections to other people and all this brand new information, uh, all the resources that were out there, uh, and that's what made me into a massive geek. And <laughs> Red Dwarf was was that. Mm-hmm. key part of it so yeah that could have been my jumping off point but the internet saved me yeah i think the internet or saved condemned me depending on how you want to look at it yeah um i think we've uh we obviously have more questions still to cover but we've been talking for quite a while now let's try one Should more i just question? pick up uh, pick up one more yeah. um which is Milo Scat asks, and by the way, any questions that come in that we we haven't answered, we will carry over uh, to subsequent weeks. We'll probably get away with not doing a call for questions this week because we've got we've yeah. got an episode's worth here. 
Um, although obviously, if there are any more you want to add in, please do. Uh, but yeah, Milo Scott asks uh, for in-depth discussions of individual Smegazine comics, uh, comics or Prelude to Nanaki. Maybe each host picks their favourite. I'm not going to put you two on the spot because this there's something you probably want to think about and yeah. do a bit of research. But <laughs> I, uh, I, it set me thinking earlier when I saw that comment. What is my favourite Smegazine comic? And I think my favourite Smegazine comic is Time After Time. Uh, which was, uh, I've got a thing up here, it's volume two, number four. In fact, I'm reading from an article that I've written that's not yet published. <laughs> <laughs> so, sneak preview. Um, but yeah, it's basically a uh, Lister pre-accident uh, is having drunken capers with Peterson and Chen and Selby, and all of a sudden he gets plucked through time uh, and gets dragged along his own personal timeline. Um, and so we see old pre-accident Lister witnessing events uh, such as him being put into stasis and uh, being woken up and being told that everyone's dead and so we see all these key events in Red Dwarf um, some of which are revisiting things that we see on on screen and some of them aren't so there's a whole section that's set in the gap between series uh, 2 and 3 where Lister's pregnant and Holly is in the middle of uh, changing their appearance and and it turns out that it's um, the the current crew, our crew, are, are trying to do a, a four dimensional mind swap with Lister to uh-huh. put our to put our Lister's brain in old Lister's body so that he can go and prevent the accident, uh, but it fails. Um, and it, yeah, you see, it culminates in this huge montage of loads of things from the series. Lo- all this iconography is brilliant artwork. More wow, than anything, more that'd than be a hell of a special. Jesus, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to that just thinking, that is, that is fucking yeah. brilliant. That is just... Yeah, <laughs> there's some real gold in the Smegazines, there really is. There's oh. also some complete shit. <laughs> but there, but there, is, oh, there is, like, it's all written by fans <laughs> and, and drawn by fans. And it's like, when when they get creative and really get in depth with the mythos of the series, such as it is, that's the thing that really interests me. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that's my recommendation if you want to pick out a Smegazine yeah. uh, comic. It's volume two, number four, uh, time after time. I think I think for me, it would it would probably have to be the best of the Smegazines. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my favorite. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk more about um, Smegazines, probably in article form. Um, at some point soon, there's. I've teased already on a previous Dwarfcast, but there is one magazine comic called List of the God that has all these similar, like completely coincidental, I assume, similarities to the Promised Land. And so, uh, please don't like Pete Martin or someone. Don't just write that article in the comments to this. Like, wait for me to write it, <laughs> <laughs> but that's coming soon. I'm gonna <laughs> compare that. There's all kinds of good stuff in this magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's home of I'm just scrolling through a list of magazine comics now. Home of Lost Causes, that's the one where um, the crew get back to uh, it's po- it's set during series six, and the crew find Red Dwarf and they find uh, the captain and all the dead crew on board, uh, which basically preempts series eight yeah. <laughs> by several years. Uh, there's one which I think is called Evolution or something where um, yeah it is called Evolution where they um, accidentally devolve a animal into a woman and she's st- standing there naked and they all just stare at her being naked for a while. So okay, all this, kinds... is, this, is le- this is 
sounding less and less like a series of coincidences. Doug <laughs> <laughs> just get shit, what can I do this week? Oh. <laughs> Doug got a complete collection. <laughs> well, as long as he doesn't uh, convert the amusing misadventures of Mr. Flibble, <laughs> uh, which is basically a series of comic strips where Mr. Flibble kills and rapes people. Let's, let's not have that, please. Oh, wow. I, 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 I thought he would just go around... Um, interviewing key figures from the uh, and then post it on the website. <laughs> that is, he cleaned up his act later on. He, yeah, okay, kind of, right. he tried to reinvent himself like Anton Deck. Wow, that sounds like a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do recommend this magazines as a general thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for now that is quite enough waffle. That's quite uh, enough so that was. Another edition of Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. What waffle man? So that was our third to last ever episode commentary for the BBC era. Yeah, we have two more episodes left. Uh, we have marooned and we have blue. And next week, I can exclusively reveal that we'll be doing blue. Uh, so look out for that on Ganymede and Titan next week. Um, if you want to add. Uh, more questions to the bank for uh, Waffle Men, then please feel free to do so. You can uh, leave a comment on uh, GNT, uh, which is Ganymede.tv, or find us on Twitter. Twitter handle is Ganymede Titan. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. But then what are we going to do after we run out of PPC commentaries to do? Well, we'll just have to hope that we've already come up with a plan for that. Uh, which we may reveal some details of in uh, subsequent episodes. So do join us again roughly a week from now, uh, unless something more important comes up, like the Premier League coming back. Uh, (laughs) While we're in the mood for being semi-competent podcasters and actually having a schedule and a plan for future episodes, uh, which is weird for all of us, uh, we might as well do the podcaster thing of soliciting for uh, iTunes reviews. Uh, we have very, very few iTunes reviews. A lot of them are based on feuds that we had. In 2009. <laughs> like, in, yeah, over 10 years ago. Uh, there's also a comment on there of people, uh, someone complaining that we're too woke and we uh, we keep on looking at Red Dwarf through the prism of cultural Marxism, uh, which I had to Google to find out what it was, uh, which is how much I'm into it. <laughs> uh, but if you actually like us and you're a regular listener, uh, please could you say so on iTunes and then um, more people might find us. Is that a good thing? I don't know. But do it anyway. <laughs> if, you hate, if you hate humanity in general, <laughs> then increase the chance of all the members of humanity finding us. There you go. <laughs> I, a, I, a tiny bit. Ever, I don't think there's a clearer call to action than I've ever heard <laughs> on a podcast. Uh, so please do that. Uh, and thanks for listening, as always. It's always uh, great fun doing these podcasts, uh, especially at the moment uh, when we're all in lockdown and desperate for human contact. It's a nice thing uh, to be able to do. So thanks for listening, if indeed you are. Uh, but until next time, uh, thank you again. Stay safe. And as always, Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.